Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we are here empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And we're doing a live stream uh, on Facebook, so we're glad that you all are joining in on Facebook. Um, we're trying this new format. We're doing something different because you see I'm at the house um, and <laughs> this is going to be fun. I'm experimenting. I really am experimenting. Um, so this 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 probably won't be a, lo- a long broadcast uh, largely because um, it's going to be a, a reflective broadcast of the uh, this may be the last broadcast of 2018 and so we're going to be doing some reflections on the year, the headlines, um, many of the top headlines of the year uh, that some we talked about, some we didn't talk about. We're also going to be, uh, I'll be sharing some of my reflections uh, on the year that I've been privileged to have accomplished and or have gone through, <laughs> uh, had to be processed through. Um, and, uh, you know, you're just going to do what we do, what we always do. Thank everybody. Uh, Give you a little more time to tune in, uh, join, invite your friends to join, um, to come in and share on this live stream. We're excited. Uh, I don't do live stuff that often. It's awkward for me. I just must be admitted to you. It's just awkward. You know, I, I don't know. But it uh, seemed to be pretty popular. <laughs> so we're going to try this format. Um, we want to invite you again to subscribe to all of Follow us on all of our social media, of course, on Zero Network on Facebook. You can go there and like the page, and you'll uh, be able to catch up on archive shows. Uh, we've been doing this since 2010, and it's hard to believe we've been doing it that long. So you can go there. Um, uh, we're also on Twitter. Of course, I'm Lorenzo T. Neal on Twitter, and the show handle on Twitter is at Zero Radio, Z-E-R-A Radio. So you go there and um, follow us on Twitter. Um those are pretty much all the all the social media outlets. I am on Instagram. <laughs> I don't do much on there, but post a lot of stuff. Uh, 
you know, those Bible verses that you get from the Bible app and a couple of selfies. Well, I'm going to try to get a little more engaged with that, too. Um, and also, um, we want to invite you to go visit our webpage, LorenzoTenille.com. We're updating that. You know, we really haven't been proactive in doing so, but we're going to be doing that. You're going to see a lot of revamping, and I've said this before, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to be as uh, proactive as I can with, with with this new phase of my journey in life and um you know, be a little more self-engaging and self-promoting. I, I'm not one who does that. And uh, hey, Rosalind, thank you for joining. Um, I'm not one that does that. So, you know, with the new status comes new opportunities, and when new opportunities means uh, more things that you have to to do that you may be uncomfortable with doing. And self-promotion is one of the most uncomfortable things I am. Now, I don't mind taking a selfie, but self-promotion. <laughs> is not my bag. Uh, but anyway, so today we're going to be talking about reflections and oh, the 2018 year. And I got to admit, this year has gone by pretty fast, faster than I have cared, that I care um, to, to acknowledge. But it's, it's been a very interesting year um, on a lot of different things. And so I am, I'm just grateful to be able to have made it this far. <laughs> this this far in life and I'm grateful to have uh be ready to see the end of the year. So um couple of headlines. I'm excited that the 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 Senate has done something in a bipartisan manner and um if you've been listening uh last week I talked about the um the uh, Criminal Justice Reform Bill, the First Step Act uh, that was uh, put on the floor of the Senate last week by Majority Leader McConnell. And today I'm glad to announce that the Senate passed it uh, with a very, very significant bipartisan effort. And, and I'm excited about that at the federal level. Now, we still have some issues at the state level that must be addressed, and I'm grateful for organizations like part one I'm a part of, uh, Clergy for Prison Reform here in the state of Mississippi, and many, many other organizations like ACLU that are working to see criminal justice reform uh, become not just a political ball, but a reality in, the, in our country and in our state. So I'm excited about that. And at federal level, it does a lot of things. There's some still some, you know, a lot more things it could address. And, but I'm just glad that they did something. <laughs> I am glad that they did something. Uh, too long this country has been plagued with uh, inaction. Our, our legislator at the, level, at the federal level has been plagued with inaction. And, and they did something that will benefit a lot of persons, a lot of persons, um, especially those of us who have been directly impacted by uh, the criminal justice system. Either you have a loved one in prison, an immediate relative in prison, or you know someone who's gone to prison, um, largely in the federal system. Uh, you know, we're talking about sentencing reform when it comes to uh, mandatory minimums uh, for um, narcotics, particularly marijuana and things of that nature. You know, we're, we're, those are kind of things that, can deeply affect our country and have we know have deeply affected our communities, particularly black communities and 
And the fact that the federal government and the federal legislators are realizing that they have opportunity to change that, and they, they have done so. And I'm glad they did it on a very bipartisan uh, effort because it says that they want to be reelected. <laughs> it also says that they understand the deep-rooted um, the deep-rooted problem in our criminal justice system, and there's a long way to go, but I applaud uh, our senators, and it will be working its way back to the House, and of course, that because the House passed it, they're going to, uh, they're going to, if there's anything they have to conference on, they'll conference on it, and get into the hands of President Trump to sign, and I'm going to tell you this, I, that's one thing, <laughs> one thing I'm, I can say that, uh, well, there's a lot of things I can say. Uh, I'm proud President Trump has done in the two years that he's been in the office, but this is one big thing, major thing he can say that he has done that has benefited uh, the black community in particular and the country overall. So it's a wonderful thing that um, that will happen. So take time. I want to encourage you to take the time to write to your uh Senator, your U.S. Senator and your U.S. Congresspersons, uh, thanking them for their vote if they voted on it. There was there were some who voted against it, uh, but if they voted for it, I want to also give uh, commendations to Senator Cory Booker. You <laughs> you won't hear me do that too often. Uh, commendations to Senator Cory Booker uh, and Senator Grassley uh, for their effort in promoting this and getting this before the people. Also. This last week, uh, we saw the president announce with Senator Tim Scott uh, an uh, urban revitalization uh, initiative, and I'm very glad about that. Again, you know, we we applaud what they are doing. We cannot rely on them, and we must. Uh, I, I talked about this last week with Bishop uh, Jones. Uh, made this statement that uh, in the Philadelphia. Uh, um, I can't think of what it, what it, but anyway, he made it, this statement that the black church must do more for the community, and I am all for that. We must do more for the community, and um, we got to be empowered to do so. And I know there's a lot of flack going around with John Gray and what he did with his offering and what he did with his wife, uh, but though you know that type of exposure, especially with the offering. That type of exposure is good exposure, and you know people need to to see that the truck that the the black faith community and the black church is willing to put their money where their mouth is and be benevolent towards us, uh, their our community. Now, you know, I I I wouldn't necessarily tell them to just come get out of the offering place, but I mean this is an opportunity for black churches to take the initiative to empower and engage our communities in ways that is not disenfranchising them. Uh, we don't want to give handouts. We don't want to become a welfare church. I tell you that much. You uh, don't want to do that. But we have opportunity now. You know, if we're going to build a large buildings and ministries, then we have opportunity to let those reflect the development that needs to occur in our churches. And I'm, I'm glad my church is part of that. The, uh, not just the Amy Church connectionally, but you know my local church, and I, I can name another other ch- number of churches here in Metro Jackson area, black churches that are doing that. And I'm telling you, uh, they're tapping into resources and 
revitalizing these communities that are uh, in, in critical need of such revitalization. So, gotta uh, we gotta do that. So I'm I'm glad. Um, again, this is just first step. <laughs> it's first step for the financial. Uh, it's first step for the the um, criminal justice. It's first step for urban revitalization. But either way, uh, it's saying something to us that we, as pastors, as clergy, as the black faith community and black churches, we can do it. We can get the funding from the government, and, and you may want to reconsider that. And you know, we can take care of our own, and, I, and it's, that's what they did before. That's what they did before. You know, they didn't rely on government as much. They knew the government wouldn't do anything for them, so the only ones they had were themselves. And I think we're in that time again, and I I believe this is our opportunity to see our communities as they once were, and you know, pre World War Two, uh, uh, post World War Two, and pre Civil Rights. You know, you know, it was segregated, but we did something right. Anyway. I could go on and on about that, uh, and I'm not going to go on. Anyway, uh, thanks to everybody who is watching. I appreciate it, and um, we're grateful. Let's get into some of the headlines that happened uh, this this year, um, and I'm, I'm not trying to go back all the way through the year, but just a, a few of the things. Of course, the big thing uh, that – I think drew a lot of attention, and I just posted this uh, story, uh, the um, West Merriam-Webster's Dictionary just released the year, uh, the word of the year, and the word of the year just happened to be justice, and they, they used this, I think the way they generated this word of the year is by uh, the amount of times a particular word was searched, was searched, googled, whatever—I don't know—I I have to go back and and um, review that. However, what they determined was justice, and that includes the phrase social justice, was um, the prominent word of the year. And I will have to agree that the issue of justice has been on the forefront of of our thoughts and what has been fed to us throughout the year, um, beginning with, um, well, not beginning with, but we, we saw the, the immigration crisis uh, earlier this year where now former Attorney General Jeff Sessions um, basically um, enforced uh, a policy that took children away from their parents, those who crossed illegally and those who were in the States illegally. Uh, they were illegally detained, and their children were detained in separate spaces. Uh, and, you know, I didn't like the way the media was painting. Some of them were saying it was cages and tents. And, of course, uh, they were fenced in. Um, there, there were some places that were fenced in because they had to do quick, you know, something quick. So I, I never, I didn't go with the narrative of, of that, but I did go with the narrative of how um, immoral 
that act was. We did have him come, you know, make a statement before a law association. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he quoted scripture at the time. And he quoted the scripture of Romans 13 about uh, the authority of the government and how we should obey the authority of the government because it has been in place placed by the Lord. And, you know, I don't think that, uh, of course, I think there was a gross misinterpretation of that scripture. Um, and there were those evangelicals who ran with that. But we saw that, we saw how hardened the hearts of some persons were because they would rather support uh, political ideology over the humanity of those who were being affected by that. And I think that's what brought that idea of justice caused even the most staunch Trump supporters to reflect on their own humanity and say, this is just not right. You know, um, the idea of justice, yes, it is unjust. It is unjust for anyone to cross in, into uh, the United States illegally. It is unjust for them to do that. But it is even more unjust for those persons uh, to be separated from their families and detained indefinitely um, in, in places that we would not want our own children detained if they had committed a crime. We wouldn't want them to be in spaces such as that. And um, I think it was a reflection of how deep injustice can can run. Uh, one of the detainees, a seven-year-old girl, died recently as a result of dehydration. Yes, I saw that story, and um, it's a very, very sad case. Uh, the young girl from, um, I believe she was from Guatemala, uh, Honduras, one of those areas, but... Um, she 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 was detained and just hours after being detained she died uh, and they're say, stating it was largely in, in in due to the fact of how they you know proceeded in crossing the border and that it, the fact that she died in the care of uh, border patrol or whatever organizations that that were detaining her there was you know that was a cry out for that. Um, and I've heard several con pundits and commentators across the spectrum of the political ideology, political spectrum, say, "Well, it's the government's fault," and some say, "Well, it's not the government's fault. It's not their, it's not ISIS's fault. It's not anybody's fault." I, you know, a life is a life, and and it is sad that that happened. Thank you, Rosalind, for pointing that out. Uh, and, and again, this goes back to the sense of justice. And. Um, we also, uh, uh, as it relates to the sense of justice when it came to uh, the um, confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, uh, we, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to regurgitate the story in its entirety, but you know that he had an accuser who stated that um, about 30 years or more prior to this moment of him, his confirmation, that um, he had an inappropriate activity with her. Uh, some would call it rape. Some just simply say it was in, uh, teenage behavior. Um, they also stated the fact that he drank quite a lot. 
<laughs> Drake like a frat boy. He drank like a frat boy. Whoop, whoop, drank like a frat boy. Um, I'm a frat boy. I didn't, I didn't drink like one. <laughs> Anywho, mm-hmm. um, but we saw the issue of justice come up and the sense of victimhood. You know, those who have been affected by um, sexual misconduct on the Small and large scale, inappropriate touching, inappropriate language, uh, to upwards to rape. The question of justice for the victim and justice for the uh, assailant came up, uh, and you know, really, really is the sense of who's right, and who's wrong, whose whose report will we would believe? Will we believe the report? of a man who has stood out spectacularly in his uh, uh, law career? Or will we believe the account of a woman who, in her own right, stood out as an educator, as a professor, um, who uh, some believe had the courage to come forward with this story? It all brings came with the undertones of justice. Who's going to get justice? When should justice happen? What should justice look like in this situation? What should justice look like? Should justice favor the justice, the one who dictates and carry out and calls order to justice procedures? Or should it reflect that of uh, the the victim, and you know there were a lot of persons crying. We believe the victim. We believe the victim, and you know even though the victim's story in this particular case, and this particular case only, was never seriously validated. Um, it was vetted, of course, by the FBI, and apparently the FBI thought it not enough to infringe upon uh, the confirmation hearings, and he was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. But that hang that will hang over his head just as it hangs over uh, Clarence Thomas's head. It's going to hang over his head for the rest of his judicial career. Um, let me Michelle. Hey, Michelle. <laughs> uh, predators are protected due to the fact that a lot of them have money, and their parents did the same, so it's accepted. Which is why a lot of victims don't speak up because they are victimized all over again. More than the accused. You're right. You're right. There are a lot of. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle. I should know your name by now. Uh, You're right. There are a lot of persons, victims in particular, uh, who feel so. uh, They're so so um, traumatized by what they experienced, and they are afraid to speak out uh, against their predator. And specifically, those who are predators. There are men and women who are predators. They're, they seek those that know they can victimize. They know they can take advantage of in some capacity, and they do so. And then there are those who, you know, in the case of uh, similar to Justice uh, Kavanaugh, you know, teens behaving as teen, be- teen boys behaving as teens teens, boys do if they do, uh, you know, um, being more aggressive sexually, 
as the male usually is, sexually more aggressive. Um, and and they were they were un, unknowingly and unwittingly placed themselves in situations that will cause them to commit such uh, acts. Not all acts are violent acts. You know, you know, sometimes men are aggressive sexually, and sometimes they're just horny, <laughs> and uh, they don't know when to say no. And then there are others that are intent on violating a woman no matter what. And these are the ones that we, you know, these are the ones that need to be called out. These are the ones that need to be in prison. Uh, you know, everybody, anytime someone does violate, someone does violate the body, the emotions of another person, uh, we need to take that seriously. We've had incidents um, of pastors, and of course, uh, and this goes into other reports, news stories of, uh, you know, the, the Diocese of Pennsylvania, where we learned that uh, many priests, I can't remember if it was 100, 300,000, I can't remember, but a lot of priests, uh, the diocese had to admit that they were, um, they were aware of the immoral behavior and actions of their priests toward children, and they were complicit in um, the sexual abuse that happened for decades in that diocese. And the um, uh, the Pennsylvania District Attorney General Attorney uh, Attorney General um, is holding them accountable after all these years. These are the things that we must be, uh, you know, that all comes into play. Justice, 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 justice. We cannot afford any longer to say, oh, it happened, we should just move on. We now must, must, as a must, we must now be ever more vigilant, vigilant in saying that we will seek justice for those who've been affected in any manner. By someone else And it doesn't always have to be You know uh, The spectrum of abuse is wide You know goes from Emotional abuse and I've been guilty Of emotional abuse You know uh, I I know what it's like To hold someone's emotions Against them And you know you don't do it Intentionally some people do They know how to be manipulative like that In my case I was not doing it Intentionally but I was just not uh, sensitive to how I was speaking or interacting with the other party that was uh, that affected them. And of course, you know, later once I, re- I learned that I reached out and tried to, you know, uh, reconcile with such persons. And sometimes they wanted to, sometimes they didn't. You know, it is it's on that individual. But you have the emotional abuse, you have the mental abuse, the psychological abuse. And then, of course, you do have the physical abuse. And most times we just focus on the physical abuse. And when it comes to the physical abuse, we want to seek justice. We want to seek justice for uh, the victim. Um, a rel- relative of mine and a schoolmate of mine just lost, uh, we just lost a loved one because of the domestic abuse. And um, we're seeking justice for that person. 
I know what it's like. Uh, you know, I'm I'm seeking justice for the the person who killed my nephew two years ago. We still have not got justice for that. Um, so it's 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 what we must be about. Uh, justice nowadays means just us who have money can do what we want and be prosecuted and not be prosecuted. Justice is not, oh, wow, justice is not for everyone. You know, that's a good point. Uh, and, and, and this is reflected in the criminal justice system in its entirety. Uh, we were at the Mississippi Summit on Criminal Justice Reform uh, last week, and I, I had the honor of being there and, and uh, listening to the various uh, presentations and presenters, and including our governor. And one of the things that kept coming up is the fact that the justice system is not in favor of the poor. The justice system is not in favor of the poor. And because they are not in favor of the poor, the poor are highly incarcerated. They're incarcerated higher in a higher percentage than those who are wealthy or have access to wealth. And as shameful as that is, it is just a reality. It is just that reality that uh, the those who have access to wealth, be it their own personal wealth or the wealth of someone else, you know, wealth of a law or lawyer, you know, it, it begins from the very at the beginning of the system from the arrest. Because depending on where you are arrested, if you are arrested <laughs> in a suburban area, the likelihood of it making, you know, of course it's going to make the news, but the likelihood of there being a, a big mess around your arrest is probably not as high. Uh, but, you know, that is a very broad statement and probably is uh, incorrect, I, I, you know. But, it, you know, for example, a person who, if a man or a woman who is wealthy commits an act of crime against another person, say domestic violence, uh, they're likely to be able to, one, have a better rapport if they're in a wealthier neighborhood or wealthier place, you know, better rapport with the officer. The officer may be a little kinder towards them, you know, not... And I'm speaking in broad generalizations here, you know, mostly probably what I've only seen on television in the movies. Uh, please just uh, allow me to just to go into this. And, uh, don't take it too seriously. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm being as general as possible. Uh, that, that they're likely to have a better rapport with the arresting officer and the arresting officer may treat them better. Uh, they may be booked better. You know, I, I've seen mugshots. We had mugshots here of four frat boys who had gotten arrested. They were at the University of Mississippi, I believe, Ole Miss, and they got arrested. And every last one of them in their mugshot was smiling. I mean, not, I'm not talking about – I'm talking about big cheesing. They cheesing like, hey, this is a yearbook picture. And it got media attention because it was, you know – Hey, this is a light photo. These guys, you know, they got arrested and they uh, seriously. At the same time, you see the the mugshot of a uh, of a black person who has committed a crime, 
and you know may not have even been a violent crime, but the mugshot, the face resembles them um, as some type of you know it gives the demeanor that this person is a dangerous person. They you know you won't see them smiling. You won't see them. As a matter of fact, the lighting may even be different, and we've seen this. There's studies that have shown this. You know, unfortunately, I cannot present the studies at this moment, but there's studies that have shown that even how um, the lighting is when a person is taken into custody, you know, uh, can reflect and 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 put a disparate uh, put some type of um, what's the word I'm looking for? It can can make it seem different. So if the lighting is darker on a person of color when they take mug shot. It's going to make them reflect. It's going to, you know, by persons who are just looking at the mugshot, it will make them seem uh, even more dangerous than if the lighting is brighter on a non-person of color, then it will make them seem less dangerous. And we've seen this across the board. Um, I wish I could bring that study up. Uh, the whole the whole point of the matter is that from beginning at arrest, you it you can determine by way of wealth or the lack thereof what the judicial justice system would look like for that person. So if a person gets committed, you know, commits a crime, and let's say they have a bail, uh, if sometimes the bail can be as low as five hundred dollars. And I know this from personal experience. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> had a bail that was at, at very low. And um, even though I had the funds directly on me, I could not access my own funds to pay my bail. I had to get somebody else to come and pay bail. And this was, you know, this was way, this is over 20 years ago now. So don't y'all start. <laughs> uh, and it was a misdemeanor. <laughs> I, I have to share that story one day. Uh, but, um, there are persons who don't have access to bails um, to bail money. And so you have you have persons who cannot pay bail that stay in prison uh, and in and, and jail. They stay incarcerated for an uh, uh, elongated period of time because they cannot pay their jail, their bail, before they even come before a judge. And that's unjust, unjust. And some people were saying we need to reconfigure how we do this, uh, maybe do away with the bail system. I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, but there has to be a way, of, you know, because, you know, if you get caught with a misdemeanor, if, if a crime is a misdemeanor and you don't have bail, uh, bail money to get out of jail for that misdemeanor, you know, you're going to spend time in bail and then it could adversely affect you. And it adversely affects your personhood because everybody who gets arrested, no matter how bad, you know, how small the arrest may be, even if they're just apprehended for a few moments, that affects their personhood, you know, psychologically affects them. Um, and, and many don't, you know, if they don't get arrested, uh, if they do get arrested and if they are discharged, you know, whatever, uh, afterwards, release afterwards then yes it still affects them maybe not as much as it does to those who get arrested and they're sentenced and they are imprisoned it affects their personhood in its entirety their humanhood their humanity is affected their emotions in the entirety of them their selves is affected by that 
And even if it's for short term, if it's a month, if you know, if it's thirty days, if it's six months, or if it's a year, they are still affected by that. And some can return to society, and some cannot return to society the way that they were prior to their arrest. And I believe, as as a church, we can we can affect how that is affected. We can we can be more vocal. In this, because as pastors, we should be aware of who are in our congregations. We should be aware of those in our communities. Um, I know what my community is like because I live in a community that I pastor. So, you know, I'm walking down the street. I could, you know, I I know uh, pretty much what many of the individuals who live within my neighborhood. I know what they're like, uh, especially the younger ones. You know, I know that many of them are just renting this place because it's the only place they can get. They don't like where they live. They really don't want to live there. And they're struggling to pay $300 rent a month. And they have two jobs. They have children, and they're struggling to get their children to school. They're struggling. They're struggling when they get their children get home from school because they're not there. And there may be food. There may not be food. Kids this day, these days, you know, they, they they don't have television, or if they do have television, they don't have a cable. If they do have cable, they don't have internet. Or if they have internet, they don't have any of that. They have, uh, they may not have access to broadband internet. You, you get what I'm saying? And all of that comes across as being unjust, unjust. But I, I got off tangent with with. Uh, this wealth thing with justice, and it's it's important to me as a pastor because again, one of the headlines were uh, a lot of pastors spending extravagantly. Uh, the headline of Jesse Duplantis wanting to buy a new jet, and uh, <laughs> the backlash that came with that, of course, the backlash of several uh, several prominent pastors. Uh, Making the making the news because of issues around the wealth that they have, how they accumulated that. That ain't my, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, and the unjust, un, unjust way they use their wealth. You know, there there are a lot of pastors who are not using the wealth that they have to empower the communities that they serve. Now, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about you know, the Christmas drives or the Thanksgiving drives or anything like that. No, I'm talking about consistent benevolence toward the community. And uh, you had the headline uh, I mentioned earlier about John Gray and the act that he did with um, with allowing those who were in need or believed they were in need. I mean, <laughs> because there was no, you know, he had no evidence of who was in need. He just, you know, like... You my mama, you got bills to pay and you ain't got the money. Come get it. <laughs> well, I would have been a mama that day. <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh, thank you, Roslyn. It's great that you're in touch with the community. I don't have a choice. I live here. They know where I they know. Let me tell you something. I I love being a pastor. I, I do and I love that I've been afforded the opportunity where I am. You know, the fact that folk know I'm at the church, and they know when they see my vehicle, I'm at the church. I love the fact that 
I can walk my dog. People know my dog more than they know me. That's, you know. <laughs> and so because they are aware that I live where I live and, you know, because when we walk through the community, Jackson is just a strutting around, you know. The kids love him. The adults know him. And so it gives me an opportunity to minister. And, and I don't share it in I'm like Paul. I'm, I'm making my boast, but, you know, I'm not boasting. I'm boasting in the Lord that I've been afforded more opportunities to minister in the community than I do in the church. And, yes, I preach every most, you know, I preach every Sunday for the most part, but the ministry doesn't happen every Sunday. Ain't people walking down the aisles to join the church every Sunday. But every week, I guarantee you, there's somebody knocking on the door of the church because they see my car there, <laughs> you know. And sometimes I have a little change to give away. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes they're like, Pastor, can you just take me to work? I I can't get to work. I'm like, you want me to drive you to work? Okay. That's the kind of stuff I, I can do. Not every pastor can do that. And I wouldn't expect every pastor to do that. I can do that because of the community where I live and where I serve, I'm able to do that. And I don't mind doing it. I don't mind doing it. In any way, you know, the blessing doesn't come from me doing it, per se. The blessing comes in knowing that I have the opportunity to do it. Uh, and I was <laughs> I was asked by somebody once before, uh, shortly after the John Gray video, like, well, what do you do? And I said, you know what, you just have to come to my church and see how benevolent my my, my uh, faith community is. You know, I, can't, I can't put it in text to say what the people... Uh, New Bethel do And I tell you They make sure That they're learning and they've always realized This for the last 91 years That this church has been in existence That they are there for people And when they had the opportunity When they had the opportunity To move out of this neighborhood They didn't want to They had the opportunity to build a new church Go into a northern part The northern part of uh, A better part of Jackson with a lot more opportunity for growth, and they decided to stay here. They decided to stay where they were, and because they decided to stay where they were, you know, there's benefits to it. Folks know, you know, when people ask me where do I pastor, and I know I'm, I'm getting off on the tangent. Please forgive me for that. I'm getting off on this tangent. But when past, people ask where I pastor, a lot of them say, oh, yeah, I know that, I know that church, you know. I have to say, yeah, behind the guy, we were by the graveyard. <laughs> we're behind the Head Start Center. Yeah, they know. I say, we're behind the playground. That's all I usually say. You know, we're the church off MLK behind the playground. <laughs> but it affords me the opportunity to be able to do so. And again, I want to say emphatically, there are a lot of pastors who do not do that. It's not that they don't want to, maybe. Sometimes they just can't, you know. Uh, larger churches, that's where you have associates for. I don't have associates. Well, I have associates, but you know, uh, I I have a small enough ministry where I can do that. You know, I can still visit the sick. I can still call members and just check on them. Um, I have class leaders who do that, but I can still do that. Um, and I can still be able to minister one-on-one -on -one individually within the community. You know, and the way my neighborhood is set up, I got to be careful with that, too. <laughs> we are called to the marketplace. Yes, Rosalind, we are called to the marketplace. Uh, love your work here. 
Reverend, my pastor just shared a Facebook article with a, one another, kind of internal social injustice nonprofits that misuse resources and miss the opportunity to really make a difference. Oh, Brother Williams, Brother Williams, you are absolutely right. There are plenty of those who do that, and um, <laughs> we're seeing that live right now in the working of the Trump Foundation, the dismantling dissolution of the Trump Foundation. And, you know, Trump Foundation was his nonprofit. That's President Trump's nonprofit, and it has come, and I've known this for a while. It's not been like a big secret, but, you know, <laughs> that basically it was another purse for him. You know, people would donate to the nonprofit, to his Trump Foundation, and basically he would use the foundation's money uh, for it, not necessarily personal use, but uh, other expenses. So, you know, you give it, for example, I think when he was a candidate, he made, he said that um, he would make a donation to the veterans or something to that nature. And he did make the donation, but it wasn't personal. The money came from his foundation, which means the money was somebody else's money and it was misused. And that is, of course, unjust. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, there are a lot of nonprofits, and I, that's ministries also. People forget that ministries are nonprofit organizations. They're domestic nonprofits. You have to file with the state, and some have a 501c3 status, and some don't. But uh, we we know of plenty of uh, charitable organizations that raise funds throughout the year, and maybe two thirds of their funds are spent on, you know, leadership, you know, the executive board, they get big salaries and a small percentage actually goes out to do what is allotted to do. And that is a great miscarriage of justice. And not in the, not in the sense that, you know, some, you know, some people will be, you know, are penalized for it criminally, but a lot of times it's a misjustice because if it's an organization that's supposed to be helping persons, and those funds that were allotted to do so do not go to the persons that was supposed to help. That is a miscarriage of justice. And you're right, brother, brother uh, Williams. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of organizations like that. And I will use the church because the church is, <laughs> and people, you know, people want to think of it as a spiritual house and a hospital for all. Yes, it is all of that. You know, it is a house of prayer. It is a hospital and it is all of that, but it's also a business and it is a nonprofit business. And, you know, when you hear, when I hear some churches that have million dollar budgets, I understand that they're doing, doing million dollar work. And I commend those pastors who are, who have grown ministry such as such, and they are doing so wonderfully in engaging the community. But there are also those uh, jankers out there, jackleg, <laughs> those janky preachers who see it as, as an opportunity for selfish gain, filthy lucker. They do it for themselves, and they know folk. Some folk are gullible, and um, and it should not be. You know, if you're a preacher and you're going to start your own nonprofit, and if it's going to be a ministry, you know, uh, if you are going to be the leader of that ministry, if it's going to be incorporated as a nonprofit, you need to be able to designate how that is going to function. You know, don't just say we are preaching yet, yeah, and don't just put on the application that you're an outreach ministry, and 
you're using it to build up your speaking engagements and you're using it to, you know, promote yourself and all of that and nothing goes back. And all the, the only overhead you have is yourself. You you know, you, you get what I'm saying? That is unjust. It is not carrying out the ministry of the Lord, you know, the heart of Christ. Thank you, Brother Williams, for that. That is unjust. And, we, and uh, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm gonna get to what I want. <laughs> justice. I'm on this thing of justice because again, we we're talking about justice because uh, Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary stated that that is their word of the year. Uh, the word of the year was justice, and when um, in, two, in September 2018, I had the privilege of attending uh, the Call to Conscience rally that was held in. Uh, Washington, D.C., led by, spearheaded by our Council of Bishops under the leadership of Bishop Reginald Jackson, Jackson, along with uh, several other cooperating organizations and church reformations. We gathered there in Lafayette Square uh, uh, across from the White House to say that uh, we need to do better as a country and as a church, not just not just to call for our elected officials to be moral, to act morally, but to act justly also, and to call on church leadership to do the same. We were not this was not just a one one way thing. It was both internal and external. We were calling on the church to reflect the justice that we want to see in the world. So which that means calling out our own selves when we had inappropriations, you know, when when our clergy do things that disproportionately affect people in a negative manner, we should be able to call that out. We should be able to say we will act justly because what does God, what does God demand of us? The Lord, requ- the Lord requires that we love mercy and walk humbly with God. Now I left out a number. Y'all know what it is, Micah 6. That this is what we should be doing. We should love mercy. We should love justice. We should walk humbly with the Lord. And if we're going to put that call out for our elected officials to do so, we must begin with ourselves. Someone wrote in scriptures that just begins in the house of God. And I don't know where that scripture at. Y'all Bible scholars can tell me right now. Uh, where it is, but it's there. And because it's there, we should be we should be willing to see it for ourselves and um, uh, uh, my boy, uh, right? Uh, what else? And I, this is this is I should do this more active. I like the interaction. I, I really do. I love love the interaction and thank you all for engaging me, uh, for uh indulging me in this moment. Yeah. Um every, I try to do this every well the show comes on every week. <laughs> uh Wednesday. And if you missed any if this is your first time catching me and you're watching me live, there's just the Zero Today uh broadcast with Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Um you can always find us on blogtalkradio.com slash zero today. There you go, and you'll find archive shows 
all the way when I been began this show back in 2010. And um, you can go there and you can listen to archive shows. You go to the Zero Network. I'm, I think I'm broadcasting live on the Zero Network also. So you can go there and you'll find archive shows there too. So anyway, go there, listen, and subscribe. Also, I want to invite you to support me in this effort. Um, uh, I am on Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, Patreon is a is a a space where those of you persons can actively support uh, creators of content, content creators, whatever they may be. So you can go to Patreon.com/slash Lorenzo T Neal and you can go there and visit my page and you can support me for as little as a dollar a month. You can be a patron of mine, and um, if you get more, there, there are other things that we're doing that will be afforded to you that you will have access to that, uh, that we're hoping to be able to provide, not just content, but, uh, you know, other stuff to you. Uh, say working on merch. <laughs> I like saying that word, merch. But that's my plug. And, and, and please understand, I said it earlier, uh, I, don't, I don't promote myself a lot. It's part of my problem, you know. Uh, I don't promote myself a lot, and I'm coming to realization that success, you have to be hungry for it, and um, while where I am placed in ministry, I'm I'm content, and I'm grateful, and I'm wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully blessed to be where I am, but I also understand, you know, promotion comes, and you don't want to deny promotion, and promotion comes from the Lord, but uh, <laughs> I know a lot of you. A lot of people, you know, the story, not a lot of people, there's a story of uh, somebody being out in the boat and they wanted the Lord to save them. And there are several opportunities that came, and each time they denied the opportunity. And the Lord finally showed up and said, well, I gave you opportunity, and you didn't take it because you didn't recognize the opportunity for your salvation. So uh, I'm just taking advantage of it. Uh, I'm just taking it. So go over to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal and um, you'll check out some stuff. And uh, again, just for as little as a dollar a month. And also, on, um, you can, if you want to give directly to me, directly, um, uh, you just hit me up on my deep, my uh, email, pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com. Or um, if you're on Facebook, you, you send me a message on Facebook. And I will give you information on my PayPal where you can support me directly. I don't mind. And if you've never gotten, I, you know, <laughs> it's just got a few minutes anyway. So uh, uh, if you've never bought a copy of my book, my last, my most recent book, A Breach of the Family, if you haven't gotten a copy of that, go get a copy of that. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com. And uh, it's also available on my website if you would like to purchase it directly from there. Either way, it comes to me. <laughs> I am on it today. I am on it today. Uh, anyway, uh, what was I about to say? Uh, I'm running out of time here on the broadcast. But um, so that's, those are all the things. I didn't really get to my reflection like I wanted to. And I cut off the thought uh, when I, once I was reading some of the comments. I lost my train of thought and got off on it say a track. Um I, let me close out on this, this reflection, this personal reflection. 2018 has been a, a wonderful year. If you're not aware, uh, in 2018, just recently, I graduated with my Doctor of Education in Pastoral Community Counseling Psychology. And uh, now I'm able to exp- 
excuse me, I've been providing counseling services uh, for a number of years, but I'm able to do it at a greater level. And so you'll be seeing that in, integrated into uh, this, the, what I am doing also. I want to be able to, you know, minister to all in all. And I do emphasize community counseling because that's what I have, uh, I have taken that uh, seriously, you know. Uh, so we are, we're providing that service through uh, the church. And, uh, we're wonderful. So if you know someone, in the, especially in the Metro Jackson area, uh, that may need the services, pastoral counseling services, and and uh, you know from a trained counselor, <laughs> a trained therapist, you can send them to my way. Um, but it's also been a tough year. 2008 has been one of the toughest years financially for me. I don't know why it was, but it was tough. Oh, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, let all. <laughs> but. Um, I'm grateful for 2018 because let me share this testimony. Uh, I came into this year um, disheartened by a lot of things, even though, you know, I had a wonderful 2017. I, I was still, I am still, I am still dealing with the death of my nephew and the death of uh, some other loved ones. And that, that had affected me emotionally. And I was still able to minister. I, I thought I was, you know, I, I thought I wasn't as effective as a, as a preacher this year, um, largely because of, of the trauma that was associated with that, that loss and many other losses. Uh, this year, at the church, we lost uh, five very, very dear members uh, that affected us entirely as a congregation. We wrestled with and are still wrestling uh through that grief. Well I won't say wrestling, we are experiencing that grief. Um because some, you know, uh actually none of them were expected. None of them were expected. And all happened suddenly. And um so we were wrestling with that grief over the over the two thousand and eighteen. Um and I think earlier during the year I had a health challenge also. But the Lord has been very, very grateful, gracious towards us, towards me this year. And I am going into 2019 with the expectation of uh, more, not more materially, but more of giving myself in the service of the kingdom. Um, how that would look, I am uncertain, uh, but I also am very much aware that it will include a lot of self-care. <laughs> that is a priority. That is That would be the biggest priority, a lot of self-care, um, because I already know some things are lining up, and I need to be prepared for the, uh, the schedule that I will be having in 2019, and I'm looking forward to it. So... Uh, 2018 has been a wonderful year of of growth in so many ways for me personally. And I hope it has been a year of growth for you. It's been a year of challenges for me. Um, but the Lord has been gracious in providing strength, wisdom, and insight into how to overcome those challenges. And, and um, from day to day, come what may, my Heavenly Father watches over me. I know that much. So listen, I want to invite you 
to continue to join the broadcast as I said um, you have the opportunity to go and visit all of the uh, visit webpage LorenzoTNeal.com and I'll, I'll try to update that it hasn't been updated in a while <laughs> that's one of the things we we'll be doing uh, again opportunity to support me on Patreon uh, patreon.com slash LorenzoTNeal you can do that um, and follow us on all our social media we want to be able to do that we want to be able to boost our presence on social media. However, uh, we do. We want you to like the Facebook page, Zero Network. We want to be able to be engaged with you in many ways, and that's how we can do so. And as often as we do, we want you to know that we are gracious, grateful for all that you do. Um, my time is on, up on my broadcast, and so um, thank you for tuning in. And uh, watching us, we're going to be, I, I don't know if we'll do it next week, uh, you know, post-Christmas. <laughs> we may do something. We may not. Uh, but either way, we're grateful. Thank you for joining us. I got to get out of here. Thank you so much. You guys have a wonderfully blessed day. And uh, love you much. Bye. <laughs>